0: Publishing for Profit podcast is brought to you by Ghostwriters and Co. Earn more money by publishing better content, and learn how to increase your thought leadership so you can build your brand. Head over to GhostwritersandCo.com for more information. That's GhostwritersandCo.com. And now, your host, Joel Mark Harris. Hello and welcome to the Publishing for Profit podcast. This is your host Joel Mark Harris. We are on episode number twenty-five today, and we interview Allison Bren of Rex Marketing Design. And you are in for a real treat today because Allison is a foremost expert on branding, and she is somebody who I've always looked up to as a expert. I've known her for many, many years, and Whenever I have a question about marketing and branding, I look up to her and, and ask her about it. So, hopefully, you enjoy this episode. We talk about how she got into marketing, how she looks at brand, and where she is today. Hello, Allison. How are you today?
1: I'm good, Joel. How are you?
0: Very well. So, I'm super pleased and happy to have you on my podcast. I've been wanting to have you on. Uh, for some time now. And I just want to get this on the record because, uh, you know, you're obviously an amazing marketer, amazing brander. um, But for some reason, I'm intimidated by you. So um, (laughs) and and it's just because you like, you know, you exude such confidence and such knowledge. So I I just, uh, I appreciate you being here.
1: Oh, wow. Well, I'll take that as a compliment because you're very accomplished. And um, yeah, I mean, I think there's just something wrong with my face. Sometimes I have that resting bee face. I think people say that to me, but (laughs) I'm not scary. I promise.
0: (laughs) So I want to take you back. Uh, You are the owner of Rex Marketing and Design. Where did that name come from and why did you choose that?
1: (laughs) It's actually kind of an embarrassing story in some ways. Um, the short version is that the name Rex symbolizes for me a moment in time experience uh, and a label that was given to me that I didn't like and that I turned into an opportunity that has become a, a significant part of my future and, and obviously my current life, but my future, my goals, my purpose. Um, but it all started with a nickname in high school. You know how it is. Someone said something mean and uh, my nickname was Rex nothing to do with a dinosaur it's not that interesting of a story but as a young woman young girl in school um, I didn't enjoy being called Rex I wanted to be one of the girls I didn't feel feminine and all these sorts of things and and it stuck and I still have friends that call me Rex and now I love it now I love it now it's not just part of my identity that I transform but it's it's part of my team's identity and this vision for the future
0: What was the mind shift then that you went from hating it to loving it? And then what went through, I guess, that process?
1: Hmm. I think the mind shift happened over a long period of time, just maturing and growing up. There was definitely in my early 20s experiences, people, books, seminars that I went to that taught me the basic idea that, you know, things happen in life and they don't mean anything. We apply meaning to it. And so if you're, if you don't like what has happened to you and you feel a certain way about it, you can take the power back by changing the narrative. And so that concept had become firm in my mind and really um, in terms of using Rex for my company name, it was just one of those things that I I needed a name on a whim. Um, I was working for a company that burned down and I needed to start my business and I needed a name (laughs) and I knew at that point that having one syllable and also that K sound that you get with the X, like the Rex, um, is very strong in branding. So it was a bit of a snap decision. And in the moment, as soon as I said Rex marketing, um, it was actually Rex image in the beginning. As soon as I said it, I was like, yeah, that's it. And I felt so empowered. Um, but the, the transition mentally had happened over the years prior, just you know, maturing and learning.
0: So I know, I know a little bit about your story, how you got into marketing and transitioned to your own company, but I think it's a super powerful story.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I was wondering if you could tell how you got into marketing and how you decided to start your own company.
1: Yeah. Well, as you know, it was by accident. I had no intention of becoming a marketer. I actually don't even think I knew that communications was a job that you could have. To be honest, um, I was pursuing physiotherapy. I wanted to get into sports medicine. And I took a gap year from school just to make money for school. And I ended up working at a dot com. It was the midst of the dot com boom. And really, what happened, long story short, I just fell in love with telling the stories of visionary entrepreneurs. And I had a natural knack for understanding storytelling and, um, you know, I, I didn't know that's what, it, what I was doing at the time. Um, and I saw the impact that it had on bringing visions to life on on launching companies during a really exciting time in our economy. I mean, I was working with, like during the dot com, you're working with companies that are shaping the world that we know today. I designed the front end um, user interface and some of the marketing messaging for one of the very first internet reservation systems for bed and breakfast. Like, how cool is that? Um, and then work with a bunch of other dot uh, during the time. And, um, yeah, I just, I think I, that's when I fell in love with entrepreneurialism, but it, is that a word? Entrepreneurialism?
0: I think so. <laughs> I we'll make it one if it's not. We'll make
1: it one. Um, that's when I fell in love with it, but not to become an entrepreneur initially. I, I didn't actually, um, have that vision at first. I just love supporting entrepreneurs. So yeah, I think the transition to becoming an entrepreneur happened much later.
0: So, when the dot-com uh, boom came crashing down, um, if I get this story correct, you were a little bit disenfranchised with the whole marketing, um, the, the whole marketing, I guess, uh, platform, and you, uh, you know, you were very frustrated with how uh, marketing was happening and how people were marketing themselves, and, and I might be putting words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm I, if I am, um, but can you just dis- describe about like how you were feeling at that time and how, you know, you've positioned your own company to be, to be different from how mm. things were back then?
1: Yeah. So the beginning of the dot-com boom, everybody was telling real stories and that's what marketing was. And it was stories that, you know, of opportunities of technology that would change people's lives. And it was real. And people invested and people um, tried new things and it, it was real. Toward the end of the dot-com boom, opportunists wanted to get on the gravy train and start a dot-com company and get a bunch of investor income and you know, pump and dump a company to make a bunch of money in the stock market. And I didn't know at the time, but I worked for one of those companies. It was my last dot-com company that I worked for. Um, one day I came to work and you know, this company that I've been working for, for two pay periods unpaid. And so had the rest of the company, hundreds of people had been working for this company for two pay periods unpaid. And one day we went to work and the doors were locked and the company had siphoned all the money out of the company in Canada and into a U.S. holding company. It was just a, a mess. And it was somebody who was taking, taking advantage of, you know the moment in time in the market and telling lies. And I told lies, right? I was marketing lies. So, um, yeah, that experience really, I call it like a come to Jesus moment. Like I, this marketing is awful, you know, business and money and marketing is the root of all evil. And I, I think I felt a lot of things that all of us, including marketers feel often, which is just super skeptical of anything being sold to us and feeling like something is always being sold to us. Um, And you know, I know when we do market research, that's something that people talk about often. Like we're just tired of the noise, right? And the constant sort of assault of marketing messaging. So I made a decision at that time that, um, you know, it took me a minute. I actually wondered if I would continue in marketing, but I made a decision to think about the visionary entrepreneurs that did change the world. And you know, let's just fast forward to right now. We're five and a half, six months into a pandemic and entrepreneurs have changed the world in many instances, you know, completely pivoting, shifting organizations to go from creating dog beds to creating masks because we had a shortage in the country, for example, right? Like entrepreneurs are amazing, create opportunity, they create jobs. And so I just committed at that point to choose who I worked with and to choose companies that, Give a shit about people, and that's how I say it. I hope I could say that to you and to. Your, I know I could say it to you I say yeah. it on your podcast. Um, and, and we're so committed to that. I mean that's a galvanizing part of our culture here at REx, like everybody in our company, when you ask them what they love about marketing, nobody loves marketing. We love the power of marketing and communication when you do it for the right reasons, for the right companies.
0: So I'm going to ask you a very broad question next, and feel free to take it. Uh, any way that you like, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, but what goes into creating a great
1: brand? Mm. Well, the first thing I say always when someone asks me about brand is that a brand is not a logo. And if you add fonts and some colors, it's still not a brand. <laughs> um you know that's that's a visual identity that's a, it's a, an element of creating brand recognition but it's not a brand. Um uh, a brand is a result and if anyone wants to read a great book on brand and what it is I recommend anything by Marty Neumeier. Um The Brand Gap is a great book. Um but and he talks about how brand is a result. So for me what goes into a brand and what a brand is to me is an entity that is created between a company and its audience. It's, it's a relationship, much like if you think of a marriage, you know, your marriage to your wife, right? There's you and there's her and your individuals, but there is this entity that is created called your relationship, called your marriage, right? And, and you need to take care of it. Both of you need to take care of it, right? Um, and what you say about your marriage might be different than what she says about your marriage. And what is said about your marriage from the outside perspective might be different again But all of those messages and what people talk about, that is the brand, right? It's the same thing in in business, you know? What does the company say about themselves? What do the employees say about themselves? And what do the customers, you know, or people outside the company, uh, people buying from the company or influencers or what have you, what does the world say? And so, really, where those three entities overlap, where what matters to those three entities overlap between the company, the employees, and the customers, that entity in the middle and what, you know, that is the brand, what people say about it is the brand. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things, like in the beginning of a, of a project with a client, we need to get clear about get on the same page about, um, because, you know, the, the strategies or the objectives brought to us is like, we want to have a brand that means X, Y, Z. Okay, great, but you don't get to control or decide that. You can influence that. And what we need to do is talk really specifically about who you are, what you do, but more importantly, things like how you do it, why you do it, and the impact that you want to create on the world so that you can have an entire team of people within your company striving for that same goal, creating that same impact. And so that you can create messages in your marketing and create policies in the leadership of your organization that give people that under understanding and impression so that they turn around and tell the world that that's what your brand is.
0: I think that's a great metaphor. I don't think I've heard a better one. Um, Yeah. Marriage. I'm going to think about that from now, from now on.
1: I actually Um, think about marketing as, as a relationship often and it it demystifies this whole mm -hmm. like confusion that we have around marketing.
0: That's true. It is, it is a relationship. Um, so you recently did a rebrand yourself for your company mm. and you, um, you did a video series about that process, which an award, can you tell me a little bit about that process? And what I'm specifically interested in is, did you learn something about that process that is different from, um, something that you would have done for a client?
1: Oh, interesting. I mean, so I'll just tell you what stands out about the process. It was it was hard to be the client. So essentially how we ran it in the company was that I was the client um, as the, the founder of the company and the team was the team, right? And then they were interviewing and doing discovery with me, the same process that we go through with our clients. Um, and so for me, it was interesting to be on the hot seat. I think it gave me a reminder um, and some compassion for what it's like for our clients when we sit down and ask them about their company, their precious baby, their vision, their everything, right? And I remember, you know, being interviewed and then waking up in the middle of the night saying, "Oh, did I say this really important piece? Did I get that across? Are they gonna, are they gonna get it?" You know, and that sort of wonder, wondering that you feel or questioning that you feel um, as to whether or not you've communicated enough so that this team can bring my brand to life, you know? So, I remember that for sure. Um the specific question though, you wanted to know like did I learn something?
0: Yeah, that. So, I mean, you do it for your clients all the time, right? But yeah. exactly, being on the other side of the yeah. whole process m- must have felt a little bit strange and it's probably something that you could take away and use uh for your, you know you know, switching back uh, roles
1: yeah, I mean it's there's a value um, for sure, just in having been in that hot seat again, just to be patient um you know we do this all the time and we make decisions about brand direction brand messages brand visuals all the time and for us it's easier to make those decisions because we're removed emotionally from the situation that's actually one of the big pieces of value we bring to our clients like we are you can't see the label when you're in the jar you can't see the picture when you're in the frame so we're outside and we're able to reflect back to our clients you know the business strategy the priorities of their target audience and present visual strategies or messaging that aligns with both. But for me to sit in the hot seat and to feel the tension that they that the business owner feels, the 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 preciousness of my company and this message that means so much to me, um, it was really great to remind myself of that and how you know sometimes it's hard to arrive at decisions. It's just hard to make a decision. It's like. Again, let's use the the relationship metaphor, okay? I love this metaphor. I'll use it over and over. You know, you met your wife, I met my husband at some point, and we chose that person was gonna be the person that we're gonna walk this life journey with. And that cuts out a lot of options, as in everyone else. I mean, assuming you're in a monogamous marriage, there's (laughs) lots of other people that aren't, but that was the decision I made, right? So you choose a direction, and you've just said no to other directions, and you know you're making the right decision, But it's it's a challenging, you know, you'd be silly if you didn't wonder or question and just process that you're making the right right call. I feel like that is how an entrepreneur feels, maybe just in a different arena when they make permanent decisions or what feels like permanent decisions um, about their brand and what they're saying to the world and how they're showing up.
0: You've talked a little bit about this, but is there ways that you... Uh, demystify and make the whole marketing process more accessible to the average entrepreneur who mm-hmm. may not like marketing or may not uh, think of it as one of their strong suits.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is something I feel like really needs to happen, particularly for small businesses. Um, you know, I've grown this agency over the last three years officially as a full, you know, a corporation. And I was consulting for about 10 or 11 years before that. And as I've grown the agency, you know, agencies are expensive to run and having really smart people with great brains that can give insights are expensive. And small businesses can't always afford to hire an agency to help them with strategy. And what's missing for small businesses is strategy. There's great accessibility now through technology and the sort of freelance economy to great talent out there. But what's missing for the entrepreneur is the strategy to be able to direct that talent. And I think that that does a disservice not only to the companies, but also to the talented freelance marketers out there who are given an objective that just isn't a strategic objective because that business owner doesn't necessarily understand marketing enough to be able to provide clarity. And so the freelancers of the world are out there busting their butts, working hard, um, creating results that they think they're supposed to create, and the business owner isn't happy, and, and... both are just blaming each other. Like we, we, how many times have you talked to a prospect and it's like the last marketer sucked
0: all the time. And, yeah. <laughs>
1: right. And it's like, I'm at the place now when if somebody comes, if somebody comes to us and says the last marketer sucked, it's like, I don't actually hold it against that last marketer. It's there's some sort of missing communication. Um, I don't think I've met a marketer who tries to wake up in the morning and waste a client's money. That's not the intention. Um, it, it happens, but it's not the intention. So like, In terms of demystifying marketing and and what we're doing about it, like, I mean, we have created a course, we do have a course for small business owners to teach them the elements of strategy. And through that process, I really had to think of how to make some of these intimidating the terminology within marketing and the process of building a brand strategy and a marketing strategy, just break it down to um, really simple step-by-step processes that an entrepreneur could follow. And, you know, I've already talked a a number of times about this relationship metaphor. I just, that's one of the things I use a lot. So for example, I'll say to business owners, you know, I'm sure you've heard about this fancy term market research and the agencies go and do market research and like, cool, how do I do market research? Well, I'll just say to them, like market research is just a really like, it's an agency term for talking to people, getting to know what matters to them what their priorities are, what their goals are, what their barriers are, what their misconceptions are, what their understanding is, what their misunderstanding. Like, it's just talking to people. It's like any relationship. And so um, I try to do that throughout, you know, talking about brand strategy and positioning, you know, like what is positioning, you know, well, positioning is very much just knowing who you are and what your value and worth is to the people you serve. Just like it is very much in the personal world, like knowing who you are and what your value is in your job or in your friend circle or family circle, like just knowing your identity. And so um, I just try to simplify the conversation in the terms and really we, I know on the agency side, we really work hard at um, not being the the sort of just not throwing around terminology and, and confusing our clients. We just try to talk human to human.
0: Another one that I find Confuses people is custom avatar. They're like, oh, what's that? Mm. You know, like and that. That's eh, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it feels like, you know, this big thing that people don't know uh, anything about, but it's really exactly just who are you serving the best? Like, exactly. who is your best uh, target market and who do you mm-hmm. jive well with? Right. Mm-hmm. So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, um, it's like, I got to have a customer avatar. And you're like, yeah. I, I love to ask back, right? Like, I, we got to have our customer avatar. Okay, what's a customer avatar to you? I don't know. I just need to have one, you know, and I think that there's a lot of companies, a lot of small businesses that waste a lot of money just thinking they got to do what the other competition did. So that's another thing we talk about Mm -hmm. a lot that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're looking at what the competition is doing and you're making your marketing decisions based on that, first of all, you're just playing into the noise of the market. You're going to sound and look like everybody else. Right. And so, and second of all, you're not, finding your unique distinction and ability to gain market share because you're just kind of a second best or slight alteration of this competition out there. Mm-hmm.
0: First people who are listening to this and they're like, Oh, I hate marketing. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to do it. I just want to hire somebody. I actually just had a conversation like this uh, the other day, like, Oh, I hate marketing. Marketing is just yeah. like you said, you know, it's, it's kind of slimy and sleazy. Um, how do you, you know, first off, I guess, what do you tell those people, and how do you change- like maybe you don't, but is there a way to change that perception?
1: Mm-hmm. I do dive into that perception for sure. Um, I relate back to my own experiences and struggles with marketing just because you have to honor their feelings about it. um also, my own experiences and feelings about sales, um, you know. I had a business coach say to me once, like, how do you feel about sales? And I'm like, I'm being a salesperson. I'm like, I'm not a salesperson. And he's like, so how are you going to grow a business if you don't sell stuff? So you're not a salesperson. And just recognizing that we don't hate marketing. We don't hate sales. We just hate what's been, been done with it. Right. So we have that conversation sort of philosophically. But the other thing that I talk to entrepreneurs about a lot is, um, you know, marketing is, developing a relationship with your audience, marketing is communication, and you can't extract yourself from that process when you're building a company. So, a small business and and that's everywhere up to, you know, multiple millions of dollars and like 50 to 100 employees, like you're still a small business. You can't extract yourself from that and expect the company to be run in a straight line I want it like toward a vision. You know, you are responsible for leading the voice of this company so you can hire help and that's a you know big piece of what you and I do we take the burden of doing the work off of the entrepreneur but they can never fully extract themselves from the process until they're ready to sell or step down and insert another leader um, and furthermore they don't want to because the the, the power of um, reciprocal knowledge that you get when you're part of the of the process for building a marketing strategy, what you learn about the audience, you know, as you go through years and years of marketing, and you're, you know, touching up your market research and having conversations with your audience, what you learn is invaluable to go back into innovating your product or service. So um, I just encourage entrepreneurs to reframe, much like I had to reframe the nickname Rex, it's like just reframe what marketing is and, and, and see it as a con- as a conversation. And you're not doing anything other than helping people. Um, a great book to read on that. Uh, I'm sure, I know you've read it actually, the Seth Godin, this is marketing. Mm-hmm. This is marketing by Seth Godin. He talks about how marketing is helping. Um, and that all of these negative associations we have with it is just from people who have done it poorly.
0: Yeah, that's a great book. It's a great book for people who, um, yeah in, who want to or can uh shift their mindset about marketing exactly it's just really mm-hmm. about helping people because people are out there they want a need they have a need they they have pain points mm-hmm. it's marketers you know it's companies um almost duty to uh to fill those, those and help those pain points right yeah. so
1: And isn't it great if you are a company that quote unquote hates marketing and you've got a great product or service, well, it's more incumbent upon you to get that message out there so that people can be served by you and not the company that you perceive to be taking advantage of people, right? Like Mm -hmm. get out there, get that voice known.
0: I want to talk a little bit about social responsibility and branding. Mm -hmm. Is that something that brands should be aware of or is it something that should just come naturally to brands?
1: What do you mean by come naturally? Well,
0: you know, I think it's you know, people are they always they naturally want to help out in certain areas. So, do um, should people or you know companies should they? hmm, What am I trying to say here? Should they help? in ways that they just see naturally fit? Or is that like, mm. or should they use it as a buzzword to say, okay, mm. like Black Lives Matter uh, right. is a big topic right now. Yeah. We should yeah. we should jump on that bandwagon, right? Mm. Or is it something that they should feel passionately about like deep in their soul?
1: Mm-hmm. It has to be real. Mm. Yeah, I mean, especially now consumers sniff BS better than ever, we are highly tuned BS meters. Um, cause we're marketed to all the time. And I think it's gotten to the point where so many companies have taken advantage of um, sort of values washing and, and piggybacking on social cause um, that people are actually a little bit, they're looking to see if it's real. Like they're not just wondering, they're seeking out to find out if it's real. So if you, uh, you know, do a rainbow version of your logo during pride week, you're going to have people investigating your social media and your uh, retail storefront and looking for evidence that you are actually uh, part of and supporting, actively supporting the LGBTQ community and not just throwing up a rainbow logo so that you look like a good person. Um, So it does absolutely have to be real. The one thing I'll say is that I think social movements are an opportunity for business owners to ask themselves if a cause is not important to them why is it not important to them? And I think, you know, as companies that want to create cultures and jobs that are inclusive and progress our society, we always have an opportunity to look at these social causes out there that are clearly important to a lot of people. Otherwise, the, the, it wouldn't be such a loud conversation. Um, it's an opportunity to learn and, and, and think about how can we make that cause um, how can we consider whether or not that should be part of our cause? But before you start marketing it, make sure it's a part of your operation, deeply woven in. Um, I'll give you I'll, I'll share something that is personal for me. you know um, over the last number of months, uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, we had a lot of conversations with the team, regular, deep, uh, tearful conversations uh, you know on our primarily white team about Um, you know, who we need to be and what we need to learn as marketers uh, and also who we need to be and what we need to learn as a corporate culture um, so that we aren't, you know, unknowingly, unconsciously perpetuating biases uh, that we're not hiding behind the privilege that we have to sort of turn a blind eye because these issues don't affect us in the same way as a primarily white agency, that we aren't perpetuating it by turning a blind eye. Um, But I wasn't willing to market None of, us would be, we, none of us wanted to market anything that we're doing. We're happy to talk about it, to share with other business owners about the ways that we're endeavoring to um, you know, educate ourselves. But it's not about marketing um, because we're still in the process of learning. And if, if, if we're talking about you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion as a company, we're going to be talking about the reality, which is we're learning.
0: That's awesome. That's really great advice. Um, I want to, so I want to shift the focus a little bit. You contributed a story to a book. Uh, I believe it's called Woman of Worth and it was about business and moms. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about why you chose to write that? Um, what the story was about and maybe, um, yeah, just why it was important to you that you got that message mm-hmm. out.
1: I think uh, the universe offers opportunities that we can take a hold of at at just the right time. So, as you know, uh, at that time I had my very young, basically newborn daughter. I was approached around that time and asked if I wanted to come to this book about being a mom in business. And uh, at the time, well, you know, the the story leading up to that invitation was that uh, in, 2016, toward the end of 2016, I'd sat down with my very first, um, she actually wasn't an employee, she was a contractor, but I call her my first employee. Um, And we had strategized the incorporation and launch of Rex Marketing and Design. And the plan was that we were going to start it in 2017, beginning of the year, and I was going to work for a year and then I would have the company set up so that I could go and have my second child. And have a little bit of time and have a team working. That was the plan on paper. And so that was like December. We were making these plans at Christmas. And uh, I came back in January, found out actually on New Year's Eve that I was already pregnant (laughs) when I made those goals. Mm -hmm. So um, we had a timeline. We had like eight months at that point to get this company going. I built the company with the help of massive contribution of the team i say i we built and launched the company um, while i was pregnant um, i was in labor sending text messages back and forth to the team about uh, a project that we were doing. <laughs> actually i was in labor one of our team members was working remotely during the hurricane and the, on the, um, in on the virgin islands mm-hmm. and we had another team member just basically holding down the fort sending whatsapp messages between the two of us were like telling the hurricane team member to like batten down the hatches. Don't worry about the files. She's like, I've got internet for a few more minutes. I'll just send you some stuff. I'm in labor, like giving some strategic <laughs> recommendations on something. It was quite a, it was quite a time. <laughs> so, you know, you asked like, why did you write the story? Like, I feel like there's a lot of women who do this. I am not special. There is a lot of women who live this life and they have a full career or a business. And they're a mother and they're a wife and they're all sorts of identities. And I feel that these stories are, well, no, I'll tell you, these are stories I was looking for when I was in my twenties, early twenties, I was looking for examples of women who were running a business and who had a a marriage and who had children. And in particular, I was actually looking for people who were still married to their first husband or because uh, you know, the, the stories I'd come across were, um, powerful female entrepreneurs who had a lot of regret about broken homes. And so for me, somebody early on pre-marriage that wanted to have this idyllic family, which you know obviously doesn't exist, but I wanted to try <laughs> to create as much as I could, this strong family unit, um, I, I didn't see people talking about that. And um, I talk about it actually in my chapter about how there was this moment in my life where at yet another women in business conference, I stood up and asked like, is there somebody I can look to, to be uh, an example of what it looks like to be married to your first husband, a mother, to not have a near death breakdown, like, you know, experience from just being overworked and overstressed and who runs a successful business. And um, a woman that was with me at that conference, um, she'd heard me ask that question a number of times and I sat down because there was nobody on the panel that fit that description again. And I sat down beside her and she's like, why don't you just go be her? And so that was my goal. And I'm still trying every day, you know, marriage is, is, is work. It's important to work on and being a mother and the present mother is something that I'm constantly trying to keep my finger on the pulse of because you know, my business is my baby as well. My team is my family as well. And so um, I just wanted to share my story. I wanted to share my story around how i how I manage things like mom guilt, how I manage um, making choices between you know tough choices when something with the family or the kids conflicts with something in the business. And um, I just think that my voice is one voice, and this was a great book because it brought together a lot of other women's voices. Every woman got a chapter. And so I just think it's a, it's a great thing to have out there for other women who are charting, you know, their early thoughts. And, you know, I, I, I want to share this as well. Um, when we launched Rex and had a launch party, my daughter was less than a month old and I had her in this silk sling that matched my jacket for the event. And she's sleeping on my chest <clears throat> and I was giving my little talk, just thanking people for coming to our, our launch event. And at the end of the event, one of my team members friends had come to the event and she came over to me and she, she thanked me for the day, the evening. And she said, you know, um, I had professors in university tell me that I had to choose between a future as a mother and a future as a career woman or a business owner. And today I realized that I can have both. So, you know, there's lots of women doing it. The more of us that share the story, just give choice. Because the other thing is there is this is not the only way to do it. I actually don't think that there's anything virtuous about being a woman that has a business and a family. We just all should be able to choose what's right for us.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that's still a common perception is that women can have either a career or they can be you know a good mother, but they can't have both. and so it's mm-hmm. it's inspiring to see you accomplishing that. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Uh, What advice would you give yourself to the 20-year-old Allison?
1: (laughs) I don't know if I'd want to change any of the experiences that I had to go through. Um, I think I still give 40-year-old Allison the same advice that 20-year-old Allison needed, which is trust yourself. Mm. You know, you could do this. And every time you hit a new ceiling, as in you reach a new goal, and you bust through that glass ceiling to the next paradigm, the next level of your life and your journey, you're going to have to learn again how to trust yourself because now you're a fish out of water again. Um, But I really embrace every challenge, every heartbreak. And I mean that. There's been some big ones. Um, I really embrace it. And I have learned through personal tragedies in my life that you can't unwish the challenge because if you unwish the challenge, I have direct evidence in my life of a gift that I have that I would also be unwishing because it was the direct result of a loss. So, um, just keep moving, choose a growth mindset, choose the story you make up about your experiences. Um, and thankfully that was advice that I got from somebody else and from books and seminars and things that I was exposed to in my twenties. and it's a, it's a big part of what I, I try to pass on to people who are younger than me that, you know, anyone really, but, you know, my team and my culture, that's a big part of our values. Um, Yeah.
0: So you've mentioned books a couple of times and I think I know, so I I asked this question to all my guests and it is, what's your favorite book? And I think I know the Mm -hmm. answer, but people have surprised me in the past. So Mm. what what book do you, uh, I guess, yeah, what is your favorite book and what book do you enjoy gifting?
1: Hmm. Okay, so the truth is I have, different books for different phases over the last five years. My current favorite book is the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership by John Maxwell. I love that book. Um, I read it when I was in my early twenties and I thought, ah, it's a good book. Now it's like a great book. I'm sure. Have you experienced that where like you read a book once, and you're like, Oh yeah. And you come back to it and like your life's experience in that moment just needs that book that much more. Um, It's great for anybody who's, in any sort of leadership position, which John Maxwell defines as a position of lead- of influence. Like if you are influential over people, you are a leader. And so I'm a mother, I'm a team leader here, like it's so powerful, I just love that book. Um, and there's two other ones that really have impacted me and my trajectory yeah, as a business owner. One is Start With Why by Simon Sinek and the other is Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Now, they're popular books, all of them, but they're popular for a reason. They're good. Um, I, I can't stop at one. I'm sorry, but uh, no, I do give, no. yeah. <laughs> I go ahead. I, give, I give those three. I do give those three. Yeah. Um, and then the other classic that we are um, redoing as a team, or, or I'm redoing and that I'm doing with my team in our book club, is the Seven Habits." It's just, this is just foundational stuff. You know, Everybody be- benefits from learning. Mm -hmm. um seven habits of highly effective people by stephen covey 21 irrefutable laws of leadership and just the concepts of starting with why and leaders eat last i just think so empowering for -hmm. anybody who wants to accomplish big dreams
0: can you yeah i forgot that you had a book club going can you tell me a little bit about that and why you decided to start that
1: yeah um well you and i have a common friend bob wang um, he's an entrepreneur, a young man entrepreneur who's done amazing things, already created and sold his first company and he's young. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and I were having a conversation a while back and he talked about how um, it was important to him in his startup to build an organization of leaders that if you want to grow a small business and, and have it be a powerful impact to customers and to, to grow, you need everybody to think of themselves and to operate as a leader. And so through that conversation, um, he actually turned me on to rereading the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And he talked about how he had had his team read it. And so I thought that's a great idea. Um, And I immediately just bought a copy for everybody. And we did our first book club, which was, it was shaky at first, like the first time you bring... (laughs) a book Mm -hmm. to everybody on personal development. They're like, why are we doing this? You know, what's happening? There's, I think, just natural skepticism Mm -hmm. of employers. Like, what are you trying to brainwash me? You know, (laughs) but it turned into such an important part of our culture and just deepened our relationships because we would read a chapter and then everyone would share their own personal um, reflections and perspectives um, on what we learned and grew together. And so it just became, it's something now that everybody loves, everybody looks forward to. Right now, um, we well, we actually put our book club on hold when we everyone moved to work from home for a little while. And when we restarted, we paused our book club on the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and we're currently reading a book called You Can't Talk About That at Work: uh, mm-hmm. Race, Religion, Politics, and Other Other Polarizing Topics in the Workplace. And I mean, that's direct result of us trying to learn about how to uncover our unconscious biases in our communication styles as a company and our culture here internally and as we help guide other cultures as brand strategists um, and, and learning to have these tough conversations. So yeah, our book club has been a huge source of um, learning for us individually, but also galvanizing and connecting our team because when you read, you learn and when you learn, you process and good and bad things come up about yourself and awarenesses. and so it's been really powerful for us.
0: You're doing it together too, which I think is key yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if I may talk about Simon Sinek, because uh, I've never seen a company that has embraced one author's principles so deeply in their whole purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so start with why, obviously, hugely influential on your company. Can you mm-hmm. tell me a little bit why that message connects with? your company so deeply
1: Mm. well you know if you go back to this business owner this entrepreneur in the end of the dot-com boom that was an opportunist and screwed everybody investors employees out of all the millions of dollars if i had had the conversation with him about why he was doing this i would have been able to sniff out the bullshit so that was the first thing is when i would ask be sitting down on a needs assessment i'd be just asking like why why does this matter to you and it's not it truly wasn't isn't from a sort of skeptical perspective i just like to feel people and understand people so that's the first thing the second thing is um i have learned through other experiences in my personal life um, the importance of developing understanding before you come up with ideas and solutions and try to solve a problem. So again, in relationship conversations, we can go to our marriages, Um, how often communication breaks down in marriage because you have one person saying something, the other person isn't listening and they're just waiting to speak back what their perspective is and how powerful the transformation is when you sit there and you try to understand why this person is saying what they're saying. So defending so starting with why develops a deep understanding of the person sitting across from you, and it changes the communication dynamic and makes you able to align on a common understanding and then achieve a goal together. So as a culture internally, that's critical for us. Um, but to help us help us help our clients achieve their goals, we need to first understand them. The third element to that is how highly influential it is when you share vulnerably what matters to you Um, so as a company uncovers their why and they share vulnerably with their audience what matters to them or with the world what matters to them their audience will show themselves their audience will just be drawn toward them you're not selling anymore you're just saying this is what matters and the world naturally goes oh that matters to you that matters to me too and they're drawn to you so it's also very powerful in marketing
0: well, Alison, I think that's a great place to cap it off. Uh, where can people find you?
1: Uh, definitely on our social. So Start With Rex is our handle on Instagram, as well as our, uh, as on Facebook. Um, we are at startwithrex.com. It's our website. I think those are the main places. And if you can't, I, we're on a bunch of social, but if you land on our Instagram or our Facebook, which is lots of education content on there, um, it'll lead you to anywhere else that you want to find Rex.
0: Well, Allison, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. Great chatting with you.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me. Hopefully I wasn't uh, scary or whatever. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, you're awesome, Joel. I really uh, appreciate the chance to sit down and talk with you. And, um, you know, I feel like your, your listeners should know what a rock star you are. And uh, one of the things I want to say back to you is just, how your values have always shone through. So, um, you know, I've seen your career progress. And most recently, I feel like you have really leaned into your own personal values in your own business. And I see how sincere you are in wanting to help the, the customers that you have and the people that you're impacting. So I have a lot of respect for you.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, Joel. Thank you for listening to Publishing for Profit. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.